Welcome everybody to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode 23, baby. What a great number. It's a great number. So you can find us online at scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can also find us on our social media. If you go and look for the user at Scary Savannah on all platforms, please check out our merch store. We've got hats, shirts, coffee mugs, tennis shoes, backpacks, mouse pads, all that good stuff. We've got a store there. Go find it on our website. And do not forget to enter our April merch giveaway. Right, Crystal? Exactly. It's the best. You can win something. We'll talk about it at the end of the episode, give you a little bit more detail on it. And please don't forget to buy my lovely hostess a coffee. You can do so if you go onto our website and you look down in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen, you'll see a little yellow icon looks just like that. And you can easily donate to her coffee-fueled rage. I got coffee everywhere. Yes. And then she can stay awake. And we can continue to record. How have you been this week, Crystal? I've been good. We've been working on turning one of our children's bedrooms into our new podcast studio. That's right. We decided we wanted more creative control over what we could create. And so we brought it to the Hacienda. Yeah, just don't tell Kirsten. Hopefully she's not listening. And if she is... Sorry, Kirsten. So sorry, Kirsten. Of course, if she comes home this weekend, she'll probably wonder what all this lighting and microphone stuff is in her room. Well, she can wonder about it as she's sleeping on a couch like a random visitor would. She can sleep in the guest room. She doesn't live here anymore. This is my podcast studio now. So this week, we're going to be talking about two true crime stories, one involving a little bit of the paranormal. And for that, we have a new special guest who is going to be helping out with these true crime intros. So let's hand it off, Crystal. Let's do it. Oh, Kansas. A beautiful place to live. But what about dying there? The late 1800s? Cowboys? Gunslingers? Serial killers? Yes, it was a wild western frontier. Labette County, 1870. Off the Osage Trail family known as the Benders set up a nice little general store. Travelers could grab a hot meal, find supplies, and even spend the night. Sometimes, their last night. The Benders often made their guests quite at home. After all, they were going to be staying there a long, long time. Spiritualists? Talking to the dead? Those were the benders. Now, let's see what the dead may have to say. So this week, we're going back in time, all the way back to 1870, to talk about what is dubbed the first family of serial killers. That certainly sounds like royalty. Although the term serial killer didn't come into our collective vocabulary until the 1970s, these people are the very definition of serial killers. Hmm. They were known as the Bloody Benders. You know, that to me, that sounds like a band. And I think I may have even seen them touring with Ozzy Osbourne when I was in high school. I'm pretty sure there are bands with that name because when I was looking for photos of this, bands did pop up, but I didn't really look into it. Yeah. They're probably pretty cool. I would imagine with a name like Bloody Benders, you'd have to be 
you know, easy listening music. <laughs> exactly. Though the true origins of this family are unknown, some speculate they came from Germany, some say the Netherlands. Well, you know that that's where the best metal bands come from. Always. So this story's lining right up. So let's learn a little bit about the family. Please. First, we have the father, John Bender Sr., who also went by the name of William, which doesn't make any sense. Bill and William never made sense to me, but John makes even less sense than... I guess we're going to hear about (laughs) other things that are a little bit more concerning. Yeah. Okay. So he was around the age of 60 at the time of the story, and it's said that he spoke very little English, and when he did speak, it was described as guttural and unintelligible. Here's a quote describing him. This is a great quote. The old man was a repulsive, hideous brute without a redeeming trait, dirty, profane, and ill-tempered. So basically, you're just saying he was a politician. (laughs) So you got a great vision of him already, huh? I see him right now. So John's wife was named Elvira, although some sources call her Almira, and she was roughly aged 55. She spoke little to no English, But she was able to communicate her distaste for nearly everyone she met. Hmm. She had a nasty disposition and was described by the people of Labette, which is where they're from, as a she-devil. I am definitely not getting a good feeling from this crowd already. I I thought people in the 1800s only lived to be like 12 years old. So how did these people get to be in their 50s and 60s? I mean, come on. I'm not buying it. Yeah. Must have been that good living they did. Oh, yeah. Tell me more about it. So Elvira had several husbands prior to John, all of whom she reportedly killed. As you do. This is probably not true, Uh but you know how we are. We always find these obscure stories. Very. So it's also said that she had 12 children with her first husband or husbands. Well, that's not weird back in those days, I wouldn't think. Not really, but I wonder where they all ended up. I don't know. I'm hoping you're going to tell me. Uh, It doesn't say. So uh, a quote about Mrs. Bender. Do you want to read this? I would certainly love to read this quote. And I'm going to do it. I'm feeling Old West vibes. Exactly. So picture it. Old West. I got it. Is it 1870s? It is. 1870s. Old Miss Bender was a dirty old Dutch crone. Her face was a fit picture of the midnight hag that wove the spell of murderous ambition about the soul of Macbeth. And that was amazing. I know, I'm feeling it now. Um, it so, reminds me of um, Wyatt Earp's brother in Tombstone. That's actually what I was going, for. going for. I was. It was Virgil. Name? Yeah, Virgil. Virgil Earp. So what do you think about this woman? I think this woman by herself probably put a lot of modern day serial killers to shame if what you're saying is true. I mean, no wonder they called her a she-devil. So, so far, these people sound like a fun bunch, right? Oh, you know it. <laughs> it gets better. I thought it might. So they had a son named John Jr. who was around the age of 25. He spoke fluent English with what was described as a German accent. He had a habit of just randomly bursting into laughter, leading some to wonder if he were all there mentally. Mm, It's a wonder I don't speak in a German accent then because I'm known to burst into random fits of laughter myself. You are. And especially when I have like a joke pop into my head from 10 to 12 years ago and I just start laughing out of the blue for no reason whatsoever. You actually I, used to frighten the children. I, I, yeah, I did. Laughing. I would laugh. They thought something was wrong. Yeah. I blame Key and Peel. Some described him as a half wit, not a very PC term these days. Wait a second. I'm starting to feel 
personally attacked. So here's a quote that will give you a good picture of his personality, I think, and I think you should read it. I can do that. Okay. We're going to go back to the Old West. Okay. Young Bender, seen when excited, recall the gray robin hyena at once to mind. You should really do voiceover work. I know. It hurts really bad to do it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I could do it for hours, though. Trust me, I could do it. Okay, well, I'll do this next one because it'll make you uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. They had a daughter named Kate who was around the age of 23. All right. She spoke perfect English with little to no accent. She was described as a very attractive young woman. She claimed to be a psychic and a healer. And here, um, here's a quote. The one that you don't think I would want to say. Kate proclaimed herself responsible to no one save herself. I haven't got to the part that'll make you uncomfortable. I'm yet. already feeling a little bit weird we're about gonna, this. We're going to get there. She professed to be a medium of spiritualism and delivered lectures on the subject. In her lecture, she publicly declared that murder might be a dictation for good, that in what the world might deem villainy, her soul might read bravery, nobility, and humanity. She advocated free love and denounced all social regulations for the promotion of purity and the prevention of carnality, which she called miserable requirements of self-constituted society. Dirty hippie. It gets worse. Uh-huh. She may have maintained carnal relations with her brother and boldly proclaimed her right to do so in the following words found in her lecture manuscript. Shall we confine ourselves to a single love and deny our natures their proper way, even though it be a brother's passion for his own sister? I say it shall not be smothered. Uncomfortable yet? I was uncomfortable when I got home. (laughs) I just knew it was going something like this. (laughs) So yeah, this is Pretty shocking for 1870s Kansas. Yeah, I guess they didn't have any early editions of the Game of Thrones novels back then. No. Yeah. Now, some say that Kate and John were siblings, and some say they were married. There's no known documentation of this marriage, so either they were siblings, and it got really weird, Mm -hmm. or it was a common-law marriage, which hopefully was more likely. Either way, it seems that Kate had some, let's say, progressive beliefs for the time. I guess records back then must have been spotty. Maybe they were kept by the same people that did the cemeteries in Savannah? Most likely. Whatever their family dynamic actually was between the four benders, they all had one mindset when it came to murder. Murder? Now that we've met the benders, let's set the stage for their bloody crimes. It's 1870 in Labette County, Kansas. Labette County is located in the far southeast corner of Kansas, which had a population of about 9,000 people at the time. Okay. It's situated adjacent to the Great Osage Trail, which at the time was a popular way for people to travel out west. I've never heard of this trail. I assume it must have some interesting historical significance. Indeed it does. Back in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln had signed the Homestead Act, which essentially allowed people to travel west and claim up to 160 acres of land basically for free. All you had to do was lay claim to it and work the land and live there. Mm. So um, just go take it all, huh? Tell all those people and animals already there to hit the trail and find their own land. (laughs) There ain't enough room in those 160 acres for the both of us. It had to be unoccupied after they took it away from the Indians. Oh, okay. They relocated the Indians, the Osage. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds more reasonable. So the Benders were one of five spiritualist families that traveled to this part of Kansas to stake a claim. Spiritualism was a religious movement that was popular at the time. They believed that the spirits of those that had passed on would and could communicate with you. 
this is actually really starting to sound a whole lot like a young adult dystopian novel. Oh. So, what faction were the benders? <laughs> give me an, uh, give me a choice. The ground dwellers. The ground dwellers. That's what I made up, but I think it fits. This seemed to fit in with Kate's beliefs based on what we've heard about her so far. So the family arrived in 1870 and set up on 160 acres of land and got to work building a cabin and digging a well next to the Osage Trail. They also planted two acres of vegetable gardens as well as an apple orchard for food. They separated the space inside the cabin with a large wagon cover so they could use one side as a small general store to sell goods to travelers who were on their way west. They also had a kitchen inside the store area where they could cook meals for the travelers and would even have them stay overnight. Sounds like a great little enterprise, right? It sounds like absolutely nothing could go wrong with this setup. Well, that was until bodies started showing up. Ah, the bodies in the old general store gambit. You had to know this was coming. So the first body was discovered in May of 1871 in nearby Drum Creek. The body of a man known only as Jones was found with his throat cut ear to ear and his skull crushed in. Natural causes. Exactly. The following year, in February of 1872, there were two more unidentified bodies found with similar wounds. Sounds like they were having a big outbreak of natural causes. Pandemic. In 1873, the tales of bodies being found along the trail was so great that people were hesitant to travel this route anymore. But I bet like any good horror story, that didn't stop them from doing it. Well, some were still brave. In the spring of 1872, a man named George Newton Longcore and his 18-month-old daughter, Marianne, had set out west to make a new life. Georgia purchased a wagon and horses from his neighbor, Dr. William York, for the journey. It was later reported back to Dr. York that the wagon and the horses had turned up abandoned. Hmm. York became concerned for the safety of George and Marianne and set out west to look for him and the baby. When several months passed and no one heard from Dr. York, the doctor's two brothers became concerned. He was from a prominent family. His brother Ed was a colonel in the army and his brother Andrew was a senator. So his brother Ed set out with a search party of 50 men in search of his brother. But let me guess. All 50 died of natural causes. They did not. They eventually arrived at this little bed and breakfast slash store that the benders had going. They questioned the family to see if Dr. York had passed through. They admitted that he had indeed been by and had even stayed overnight. However, they said he left and continued on his journey. Nothing to see here, officer. Ed York and his men continued on down the trail, still searching for his brother. A few days later, a woman came running up to them where they had set up their camp and told them that Elvira Bender had attacked her with a knife. They went back and confronted Elvira. At first, she tried the whole I don't speak any English excuse. <laughs> but then she began to claim that the woman was a witch who had tried to curse her coffee. I don't speak any English either. And I'm wondering why you made me coffee tonight. Just keep drinking. She then insisted that the men leave. By this time, Ed York and his men were highly suspicious of the Benders, as well as another nearby family called the Roaches. That name alone makes me suspect of them. Mm, yeah. They were ready to hang them all, it seems. Yeah, that's pretty logical. Yeah, Next time up, to dole out some of that good old frontier justice. Ed York, however, insisted that they must have some evidence before they wiped out two whole families. Oh, man, what a party pooper. <laughs> Kate takes Ed York aside and suggests he come back alone the following Friday and she will use her clairvoyant powers <laughs> to tell him where his brother was. 
He didn't take her up on the offer, and that's probably the best decision he ever made. Yeah, I bet her powers probably involved a complimentary stay at the Bender Bed and Breakfast. I think so. Meanwhile, all the families in the area were concerned over the large number of murdered bodies that were turning up. Massive outbreak of natural causes. Pandemic, I told you. Epic proportions. (laughs) The local residents all called a meeting at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse, which was attended by some 75 people, including John Bender, John Bender Jr., and Ed York. It was agreed at this meeting that all the local families would search the properties of everyone else. we got to figure out who's responsible, so it seems likely a good idea, right? I'll search you, you search me, and that way we're all above board. So in theory, this was a good idea. And three days later, a man named Billy Toll was traveling past the Bender property when he noticed that it looked abandoned. Ah, the jig's up, boys. (laughs) We gotta hit the road. The animals were unfed and the house was bare. He reported this to the other locals, but bad weather prevented them from searching the property for several more days. Unfortunate. Yeah. Once the weather cleared, a search party of several hundred people, including Ed York, set out to search the Bender homestead. The party found no signs of life other than the animals. They did, however, discover a horrid smell coming from a trap door leading under the house. Never a good sign. Yeah, that would knock about two or three hundred dollars off the value of that cabin. <laughs> the door was nailed shut, so they pried it open. And when they did, they found a six foot by seven foot room underground. The floor was stained with large amounts of blood. You know, this is really starting to sound a lot like a movie on Shudder. <laughs> it is. The men proceeded to smash the concrete slab, but found no bodies. Then they decided to move the entire cabin and dig the earth underneath. Well, why didn't they tear it down? I mean, it obviously, well, granted. the wood could be reused, I'm sure. I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah. Let's move the cabin six feet to the left so that we can get a better feel for the surroundings. It just sounds like a lot of work to me, but I guess a couple hundred people make slight work of it. Burn it! The people are already dead. They're not going to mind if you burn it down over top of them. Well, we don't know there's anyone dead yet. If they're underground, they probably... Okay. All they found so far is blood. Okay. So after digging up the ground where the cabin once stood, they found... Hundreds of unmarked graves. Nothing. Oh. No bodies. Okay. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) Literally and figuratively. They wouldn't give up, though. They dug up the ground all around the cabin before moving on to the vegetable garden, which is where they found the body of Dr. William York. He was buried face down with his feet barely under the dirt. Oh, no. And I was really rooting for the old doctor. He was actually only 32 years old. Oh. That's even worse. Well, that is pretty young compared to the benders, I guess. So they continued to dig and they found another nine bodies. Mm. They even found a body as well as various body parts, in the well. Now, why would you put a body in the well? Maybe if you knew you were about to hightail it out of town, you just didn't care. I guess. All the bodies had their heads smashed in and their throats cut, all but one. The body of a young girl that was found had no injuries leading to speculations that she was either strangled or buried alive. Mm. Altogether, they found 20 bodies. Some of them have never been identified. Among the bodies found in the orchard were George Longcore and his 18-month-old baby, Marianne. Oh, no. Like I said, they found various body parts. None of them seemed to belong to any of the recovered victims, so it's unknown the actual body count the Benders racked up in the nearly three years they terrorized Osage. Well, if 
old ma bender herself killed 12 people i can only imagine what they could do as a family working together she didn't kill 12 people she had 12 children oh she had several husbands i don't know how many multiples but okay she killed them all what's basically the same thing right (laughs) i'm sure she killed at least 12 people yeah probably give or take yeah So of the identified victims, most of them were said to have been traveling with their horses and gears, which did have some value, but typically they weren't carrying large amounts of cash or jewelry or anything like that. And since the majority of the victims were never identified, no one claimed the bodies, so the locals gave them a proper burial at the bottom of a hill now known as Bender Mound. That sounds very appropriate, and I bet it is super haunted there. It probably is. There were some people who had visited the Bender family home that survived. They told stories of how they were invited to sit in the seat of honor. Hmm, man, if a bunch of random strangers in a country store asks you to sit in a seat of honor, just don't do it. I mean, it's never a good idea. I mean, I'd even be scared to do it in like an old Cracker Barrel country time store. Yeah, that would be kind of creepy. This seat of honor was located above the trap door. Since they had refused to sit in this so-called seat of honor, they ended up surviving. This refusal caused the benders to become angry and inhospitable, prompting the guests to leave hastily. I mean, how rude of a guest would you have to be? I mean, it's even called the seat of honor. What could possibly go wrong? Well, luckily, this wasn't the South because you would never like be that rude. Like you would oh, just no. you would have you to sit there. Yeah, even if you knew right, they were well, going to murder you, you, you have to say, sit down. Say goodbye to Ma and them. <laughs> I got to go sit in the seat of honor. <laughs> they surmised that those who did take the seat were surprised by one of the men sneaking from behind the wagon cover and smashing them in the head with a hammer before having their throat slit by Kate. Some of the travelers did have valuables, but others didn't. So it's believed that the benders killed for fun as well as gain. They were kind of sick. Yeah. I wonder if any horror movies have used this story as like their inspiration. I think it's been a movie. I mean, I've never actually seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I bet it probably isn't far off from this story. There's no chainsaws in this story. Oh, it's just because they weren't invented yet. Probably I'm t- I'm they would have. The yeah, they probably would have loved to use a chainsaw. Yeah, would have been messier. You can though. see our associate producers walking around in our new studio. We've got Layla right here. You know, big girl. And coffee is uh, asleep on my foot. What a great dog! <laughs> we had to bring him in the studio so they'd stop. Yeah, barking. they wouldn't be quiet. So during a search of the abandoned cabin, the men discovered three hammers that matched the wounds on the victims. These hammers were displayed at the Bender Murder Museum from 1967. To 1978. It sounds a lot like that story we did about the Lawson family where they turned that house into a museum and even wrote a folk song about it. Hey, you just never let an opportunity for a good bluegrass song go to waste, okay? Yeah, hopefully they had one about this too. So these days you can still see the hammers at a museum located in nearby Cherryville, Kansas. They also have, upon request, a knife that was found hidden in a mantel clock. It has a four-inch blade that is still covered in blood. This may be the very weapon that was used to cut the throats of the victims. So you're saying it's on request. These people go in the museum and it has to be on request. I mean, what do you have to do? Like pour a handful of quarters in the guy's hands and ask for preferential treatment? Yeah, it's just like Vegas. What is this world coming to? So whatever happened to this murderous family? I hope you know. 
Despite Dr. York's brother, Andrew, who was the senator, offering a $1,000 reward for each captured bender and the governor of Kansas adding a $2,000 reward. What's that in today's money? Roughly $150,000. Despite this offering, none of the bloody benders were ever found and charged for their crimes. This it just sounds really odd to me because that is a lot of money for any time frame. And it seems like some bounty hunter would have tracked them down. I mean, like John Wayne. Because, I mean, I've just been totally let down by movies again, it seems. Yeah, I don't think it was like that. I bet people were a lot harder to find. Are you then. trying to tell me that John Wayne wasn't a real person? <laughs> he was, but he wasn't. Well, then I don't need to hear anything else, okay? <laughs> there are, however, some theories of what became of the fugitives. One suspected apprehension of John Sr. occurred in 1884. An old man was arrested in Montana for a murder that occurred in Idaho. The method of death was a smash skull. Sounds familiar. He couldn't be positively identified, though, because he ended up severing his own foot to escape his leg iron. Like the mighty Wolverine. And he ended up bleeding to death from the injury. Was it Paul Bender? Likely never know. Well, I just want to know, was he screaming obscenities in German when he died? If so, I bet it was old Paul. Most likely. In 1889, two women were arrested in Michigan and were believed to be Elvira and Kate. The two women were said to bear an uncanny resemblance to the murderous women, but the woman presumed to be Kate produced a marriage license obtained in Michigan from 1872, proving she couldn't have been in Kansas at the time of the crimes. The women were acquitted. My question is, how hard would it have been to fake this document? What did they do? Just like carry stuff like that around in their purses back then? Um, they probably gave her time to go get it out of, you know, like her lockbox at home. You've got five minutes to produce your wedding license and <laughs> we're going to hang you on that nearest willer tree. I could get mine in five minutes. I, I don't even is. know where my passport is. Well, I know where all of our important documents are. It was a woman. Of course, she knows where her documents are. Yeah, if this had been Paul Bender, yeah, he probably would have just screwed. screamed at them. And they're like, well, the foot's <laughs> coming off, Paul. Another theory is that they were indeed located by the citizens of Labette County who exercised a little prairie justice. Mm-hmm. However, no one ever came forward to claim that reward money. You know, sometimes being a violent mob of vigilante citizens is reward enough itself. Yeah, I think they were probably satisfied if that were the case. So the destiny of the bloody benders appears that it will forever remain a mystery. Couldn't they just use forensics nowadays? I mean, what if someone went and took the DNA off of these supposed blood stains on the knife? Uh, couldn't they maybe track somebody that way? Maybe. It would be cool if they could like load that DNA into like Jed Match and see if anything came up. That's how they caught the Golden State Killer, remember? So and that took... A long time. What's a Jed match? It's a DNA database. Okay, sure it is. You know, like where people upload their DNA. Oh, like we did with the dogs. Yes. Okay, makes sense. And then they find like your cousin's 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 cousin, and then they somehow trace it to you. So that's going to bring us to our next story. Oh, Charleston, South Carolina. The holy city. This bustling seaport houses more than ghosts, it seems. The year was 1783, and it seems a fine year for murder. Serial killer? Female? Lavinia? The Holy City lays claim to possibly the first woman serial killer in the United States. Lavinia, a classy lady, 
owner of a cleverly named hotel. She specialized in a certain kind of hospitality. Murder hospitality. So this next story has some similar themes to the Bloody Benders, but isn't quite as well known. I stumbled upon it recently and became intrigued because it's uncommon for women to be murderers in general compared to men, but it's extremely uncommon for women to be serial killers. This is the tale of Lavinia Fisher. This story takes place in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's right next door. We got to go visit again. This time we're a podcast and not just random tourists. We're going to go back further in time, all the way back to 1783 when Lavinia Fisher was born. This will essentially make her the first female serial killer in the whole United States. Yeah, I'm aware of that. I learned that from our special guest. I'm glad you were paying attention. I was, partially. (laughs) Little is known about her upbringing. We don't even know her maiden name, but we do know that she married a man named John Fisher in the early 1800s, and they ran a hotel called the Six Mile Wayfair Inn. It was located, get this, six miles from Charleston. Clever. At this time, wagon trade was popular, so you had a lot of men coming and going through this Charleston area. Lavinia and John would welcome guests to their inn with Southern hospitality and charm. It didn't hurt that she was said to have been very beautiful. You know, I'm sure it was a great burden on her. It always is. Lavinia would chat with the men to determine if they had any notable valuables. As you do. If she deemed that they did, she would send them up to their room for the night with a little treat. A warm cup of tea laced with oleander. Why, sir, I see you are burdened with a great many valuable possessions. Why don't y'all go upstairs to the room of honor with our special guest of honor tea? <laughs> I feel like make a great Southern I bell. feel like Bugs Bunny, when he would imitate the lady oh, Yosemite yeah. Sam yeah, was yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. marry. You remember that? I remember that. You naughty boy. <laughs> so once the men fell asleep, a trap door located under the bed would open and the bed would fall to the basement below. I don't know about you, but that seems awfully elaborate. If you had to replace the bed every time, imagine the cost. Well, you know, maybe that's why all the trade people came through town. Like you said earlier, selling beds. probably kept the... 1800s version of Sears in business. <laughs> and maybe that's how UPS got into business. I actually think Sears has been around a long time. It has. It used Wait, to be are Sears they still and in business? Yeah. Few of them are. Once in the basement, it is said that the men were killed and robbed of all their belongings. One version of the story says that there were spikes in the basement that the bed would fall on, impaling the man. Okay. Once again, this is also probably a shutter movie. It should be. It was claimed that John and Lavinia were part of a large group of what were called highway robbers. That sounds like a man that would have opened for the Eagles on like their Hell Freezes Over tour to me. So these uh, highway robbers operated out of two hotels, one called the Five Mile Hotel and their own Six Mile Wayfair Hotel. They were really inventive with these naming conventions. They were. So with so many reports of missing men coming up, Nearby residents became suspicious as to what was going on in these establishments and reportedly formed a mob of vigilantes, as it were. Like I said, sometimes it's reward enough to carry torches to the town square. They didn't have much else to do, so seems like a plan. Yeah, it's either that or die from some sort of plague, probably. (laughs) I'm just assuming that's what happened to people in the 1800s. 
So this mob went to the Five Mile Hotel, forced everyone out, and then burned it to the ground. A completely reasonable course of action. Then they went to the Six Mile Hotel, made everyone leave, and left one man behind to guard it. It seems like they should have left more than one, but what do I know? I'll tell you what you don't know. How else would they have had someone there to give exposition? Perfect. I think that's what they were thinking in their minds, I'm sure. The writer did. Mm -hmm. The next day, the gang, including Lavinia, came back and assaulted the guard. The guard looked to Lavinia for help. Do you think she helped him? She probably told him to go hide behind the seat of honor. No. Instead, she choked him out and then smashed (laughs) his head through a window. She was a classy Southern lady. No, she wasn't. She was an (laughs) MMA fighter. Maybe that's how that got started. Yeah. She's like the ring lady for Macho Man Savage over there. So with the guard incapacitated, they resumed their business as usual as a guest arrived to spend the night. So what did she do? Like smash him through the window and then they see a guy coming down the street on a horse. Like, quick, put him under the table. Quick, quick, quick. And then they all you just. Know, he somehow escaped and alerted the authorities. Oh, okay. Exposition. So this man that's going to spend the night, his name was John People. But he wasn't much of a fan of tea. Clearly not a Southern man. No. But he didn't want to seem impolite. It is the South, after all. He poured out the tea when Lavinia wasn't looking. Probably got the exposition from the guy that was smashed through the window, I'm thinking. He was suspicious of the couple after Lavinia asked him so many questions about himself. She was sizing up her prey. Dear sir, I know it's tiring on your travels to carry all that heavy gold bouillon, (laughs) right? Uh, Yes. So he ended up sitting. I can't help myself. John ended up sitting in a chair in front of his door all night. And while he was sitting there dozing off, he heard a loud noise and watched as the bed plummeted through the floor. Didn't he see the sign over the bed saying guest of honor? <laughs> he missed that part. Yeah. So he freaks out and jumps out of his window, jumped on his horse and made his way to the police station. Oh, really? I, I just totally see this as one of those old silent films where the guy jumps out of a third story window directly onto the horse and just rides away. That's exactly how it The police searched the house and found many hidden passages. They also found items belonging to missing travelers, oleander-laced tea, and a mechanism that could be triggered to open the floorboards under the bed. Okay, where did these people get these contraptions? I mean, was there like a carpenter that specialized in this stuff back then? It it seems like the cops probably would have maybe tried to talk to that guy first. They had a guy. In the basement, they reportedly found human remains. The police arrested John and Lavinia along with some other gang members, but not for murder. They were initially charged with assault. Okay, that sounds reasonable. (laughs) Till the mob showed up. After pleading not guilty, they were housed in the Old City Jail in Charleston, where the living arrangements were described as deplorable. It was overrun with rats and bugs, it had no running water, and was overall filthy. They once tried to escape by trying the old bedsheets tied together trick. Okay, so if they, going back to this bed contraption deal, if they built that thing themselves, yet they weren't smart enough to be able to tie bedsheets together. Knots are hard. I mean, I see a conspiracy here. <laughs> to be fair, I always make the guy tie the Christmas tree to the top of the van you instead do. of me. I told you, knots are hard. So, okay, I might give it a little bit more credence. On their way down, the knot slipped. John made it out, but Lavinia was stuck. John refused to leave Lavinia behind, so he turned himself back in. True love. 
Yeah, I bet she would have tossed him through a plate glass window and if the roles were reversed yeah, she to escape. She definitely would have. Eventually, they were tried and convicted of highway robbery, which at the time was an offense punishable by death. Oh, no. They probably gave the death penalty for minor traffic violations, too. I mean, like if you didn't give the right turn signal when you were going down Main Street on your horse. Well, you got to weed out the bad. Turn signals are important. (laughs) So Lavinia, who was only 27 years old at this time, was angry and defiant, and she didn't believe that they would execute a woman. I guess she never heard the story of Alice Riley. Right around a contemporary of hers, wasn't it? It was 100 years before. So basically in the same zip code. (laughs) I got the right country. Legend has it that she even wore her wedding gown believing they wouldn't kill a married woman since it was against the law at the time. Clever girl. However, there was no law against hanging a widow. So on February 19th, 1820, a judge ordered that John Fisher be executed first, making Lavinia a widow. Can't you just see the judge from my cousin Vinny saying something along those lines? Absolutely. I love that guy. John proclaimed his innocence as he quietly walked to the gallows in front of a crowd of about 2,000 people. Lavinia, however, remained defiant and refused to walk. She ended up having to be carried. She ranted and screamed the whole time. Her last words were, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. I guess she couldn't headbutt her way out of that one, huh? She could not. She then jumped from the platform herself. Epic. Well, how how else do you expect an MMA fighter to go out? (laughs) You think they're just going to sit there and let them do that submissive choke hold on them? No, she wasn't going out like that. Now, it's said that her ghost, still wearing her wedding dress, haunts the city jail. She has also been spotted wandering around the city of Charleston, as well as the nearby Unitarian Cemetery. Now we definitely have to go and check out Charleston. Absolutely. So let's talk a little more about this jail that they were housed in. Like I said, the conditions were detestable. The building served as the Charleston City Jail for 137 years from 1802 to 1939. Designed to house 128 prisoners, it often had over 300 criminals at any given time. Due to the harsh treatment of the residents, this jail is said to be haunted by many spirits. These people were subjected to whippings, torture, branding, and food deprivation. All the ingredients needed for a haunting. What a great mix. Some inmates were burned at the stake, hanged, or even drawn and quartered, which is the worst. Ooh, no wonder they call us sister cities, huh? (laughs) Exactly. One of the ghosts that can be seen at the jail is that of a former jailer who has a rifle and hangs out on the third floor. Another is that of a black man in ragged clothes that they believe to be a former slave. Lavinia is said to wander the halls in her wedding dress that appears bright red and white. I wonder if she wears like MMA champ belt when she goes through. People hear strange sounds like that of a dumbwaiter moving through the building, even though it's no longer operational. Alarms randomly go off. And we know how ghosts love to mess with electronic devices. They love it. Some people experience physical attacks like choking, shortness of breath, being grabbed, touched, and pushed. Some are even scratched by an unseen force. Mm, So these aren't the playful ghosts that we're a little bit more accustomed to where we've been in Savannah. They're very angry, it seems. A tour guide reported that she felt a rope being tied around her ankle. One man said his sunglasses were knocked off his head violently. 
Terrible odors are said to occur, making some people sick. And even when it's hot, some people report seeing their breath in the basement. Oh, no. If there's anything that we learn from the TV show Supernatural, <laughs> it's that if you see your breath in the air and you're not an infamous ghost hunter, you better start running because yeah. you're a cold take intro. If you are not Sam or Dean, you better get out of there. If you're not a Winchester, hit the road. This place is so haunted that in 2012, ghost hunters did an investigation where the cameraman was actually scratched. Uh-oh. Scratches were documented on the show. The episode is season eight, episode 13, if you want to check it out. Of course I do. If you want to visit the old jail and experience it for yourself, you can book yourself a ghost tour. and You may just meet Lavinia Fisher. I just wouldn't accept any tea from her. Thank you, Crystal, for those two very intriguing cases. Uplifting, always, wasn't it? <laughs> always an uplifting moment with you hearing about these wonderful facets of humanity that always end up with lots of people dying and very much unhappiness. Sorry. <laughs> Can't you ever have a true crime story about people like knocking over a casino like a bunch of poker buddies? That's my next story. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> And with that, that will bring us to the part of the show that we like to call insert graphic here. What What we're we're watching. watching. So this week, Crystal picked the movie again because I apparently can't be trusted to pick a film that doesn't have a four hour runtime. You know, I can't handle anything longer than an hour and a half. And that's why I prefer watching Netflix shows. I like things broken into segments. Yeah. And I'm actually honestly glad that she's been basing most of her selections lately off of movie links because it seems like a lot of these shorter movies are actually a little better made. Yeah. I'm sure that's coincidental, of course, but it seems to have worked out so far on her last several picks. This week, she picked another horror comedy because that's what we seem to be obsessed with now. And I'm honestly glad that she did pick it because I was really pleased with this film. You did a fine job. Thank you. We watched the 2017 movie, One Cut of the Dead. And keeping with the theme from our previous episode, we are currently boycotting (laughs) the English language for another foreign film. This one is a Japanese movie, which we watched with subtitles like a boss. I love foreign films. We're so cultured. Let's me learn new words. I think I know how to say face in Japanese now. I know that's going to come in real handy for me. Yeah, I know. I mostly just learned how to scream at people. Well, you can do that in English. Well, this is true, <laughs> but it sounds a lot less interesting. It does. You always learn a lot of useful things from these films. So let me go ahead and lay it out and break this one down for you. It starts off like any good B-grade horror movie. A girl wielding an axe is about to be attacked by a zombie. So go ahead and cue the cheesy acting and effects like you would expect. They are in an old abandoned water treatment facility. And then the director yells, cut. He then berates the actor for not showing true emotion. He wants her to show that she can really show her fear. Yeah. So you're watching a movie being made in a movie movie. at this point so the director's so blown up over this that he needs to take a 30 minute (laughs) break so they walk upstairs and relax and start talking about random things at this point a real zombie outbreak happens 
but there is something often weird about the whole feel of this going on. Several things that happen in the movie don't seem to make any sense, and then it seems to come to a abrupt end about 30 minutes into the movie and the credits roll, right? Yeah. It was a little bit awkward the whole time we're watching it because you sort of see where the movie's going, but there's just these awkward scenes Mm -hmm. of stilted dialogue. There's scenes where it almost seems like the camera's just staying on one angle for far too long. And you're saying, what kind of point are they trying to make with this? Mm-hmm. So you see all that going on. But when these credits roll, that's when the actual movie starts. Yeah. So don't give up on this one halfway through the first 30 minutes. You need to watch that whole thing. Yeah, I only knew this because I had checked the runtime beforehand. And so I knew we were only 30 minutes in. Yeah. And so it's like. Because I would have thought it was over. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was a little weird. Yeah. So I pulled this little bit of information from Wikipedia. An interesting fact about the movie is it cost them about $25,000 U.S. Dollars to make, and it made nearly $28 million wow. in the United States alone, That's not cool. counting its worldwide growth. So it made over a thousand times its budget, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty cool. If only we could do that with our show. Yes, let's do it. Unfortunately, at this point forward, I don't think we can really tell you what happens in the movie because if I tell you anything, it's going to give away the uniqueness of this movie. And that's what it is, right? Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. They really like took the whole zombie trope and turned it on its head, I think. Yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I even liked it better than Psycho Gorman. Wow. Can you believe it? I can't. Oh. I can't believe anything about you, honestly. I'll allow Especially it. that shirt. Well, <laughs> you like the shirt. I do. How'd you like the movie? I would actually give it 11 out of 12 dog treats. First of all, the runtime is great. You know that. I love a short movie, short to the point. It's really your main concern in it movies. It is. I was able to stay awake. It didn't put me to sleep. Um, it was very clever. I've never... Seeing a movie like it, it's a movie within a movie, and at first it doesn't make sense, and then when you see the second part, it all ties together and comes together in a really funny, unique way. Yeah. And luckily, I'd read someone that said, you know, you need to keep watching, because I think I would have given up after the first. I was honestly ready to about give up. I'm like, this is making no sense. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it makes no sense. It's just like, this seems so like, cheesy. These are, yeah, it's cheesy. So like, these are cheesy. such bad actors, but they're not. It's like, once you see. They're actually. They're really good. Amazing Yeah, they, you got to be a really good actor to and give a bad performance. if you watch this whole movie, you'll understand why we say that. Yeah, so just watch it. I say watch it. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and break what I said a few weeks ago, and I'm going to go ahead and give this movie 12 out of 12 dog treats. Wow. It's my favorite movie so far. It even beats out Psycho Gorman, and I love Psycho Gorman because it's just so well put together. It's so well edited. It's such a unique story, and it's not even an awful horror gory no. movie it's really something that's almost family friendly almost that's almost it had some language in it it's so funny how everything plays out and as the movie progresses near the end you start saying oh that's why yeah. that happened i was and wondering that's why, why they kept happened. doing that yeah. and everything makes sense and the way it ends it's just it's a wonderful movie and i really enjoyed it that's why i give it 12 out of 12 Okay, so that's going to bring us to the portion of our show that we like to call Layla and Coffee Talk. So please, Crystal, 
you know I've been waiting for this episode for weeks. You have. And you've been holding out on me. I have. You've told the dog what she is. I have. But you haven't told me. No. So let's hear it. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Vic J on Facebook for giving Layla a new nickname. It was, what What did he call it? He called her Meat Wagon. <laughs> I just love that. And she's sitting right over there, yeah. right behind Crystal. You it's Meat see, Wagon. You can see she looks like a Meat That's Wagon. That's part of being in the home studio. We're bringing you the dogs. Coffee's under the table. Yeah, she's blending in with the carpet there. I can barely see her. <laughs> so we really got a kick out of that, Vic. And I, I think it's a perfect description of her. I was you? laughing about that for days. Yeah. So now to the part about Coffee Bean. We actually adopted her from a local rescue called One Love Animal Rescue. Support your local animal rescues. Yes, they do. I highly recommend them if you're in the area. And they rescue these animals from all situations and they work tirelessly to provide these animals with love and safety. Coffee was surrendered by her owners and she spent her days alone in the backyard covered in mange. Which is so sad. I know. She's the sweetest dog in the world. I know. So One Love got her all fixed up and she's been an amazing addition to our family. And so we were excited to have her DNA tested. Yes, we were, because I just knew she is a wharf rat. <laughs> so I used Wisdom Panel. Highly recommend. It was super easy to use. We're not sponsored by them, but well, we should be. We should be. be. This is our second DNA test with them. I guess we'll have to get more dogs. So we've had four children, and we never had one of those fancy gender reveal parties with any of our kids. They didn't have that back no, then, did they? we didn't. But we're breaking that trend tonight, because <laughs> behind that camera right there, I've got about 45 pounds of Roman candles ready to go as soon oh, as you no. tell me what she is. <laughs> so if I found out there's even one shred of Labrador in this dog, they going off. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Brett doesn't know the results. He'll be learning them for the first time with all of you viewers. Mm -hmm. So, it's almost as exciting as finding out if we're having a boy or a girl, isn't it? Not even remotely. <laughs> you this don't think so? This is far more exciting. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> so, what is your true guess as to what you think coffee is made of? Well, I think that she is 100% psychopath. Okay. But I don't think the test tests for that. But as I said before, I'm thinking that she's probably got some like Jack Russell Terrier in her. It's sort of what I see in her face. And okay. I think that she's got lab in her because her head is shaped like Layla's. And that's why I bought all those Roman candles over there. Oh, no. We're not going to be canceled, but we may burn down the studio. Okay. So can I get a drum roll, please? All right. So Coffee Bean is 32% American Pit Bull Terrier. She's a Pit Bull. And she doesn't look like a pit bull she at all. She doesn't look like a pit She at acts all. like a pit bull, but she doesn't look like a pit bull. She does not. No. Like, like Layla looks way more like a pit bull than her. I got a trigger in my hand. As soon as you say Labrador, <laughs> this place is going up. Next, 23%. Labrador. Um, nope. American Staffordshire Terrier. So more pit bull. Yes. Okay. That's 55% right but there. But that's a terrier, which is sort of what I had said she's like, even though Jack is, Russell yeah. is not the same. It's not. Now get this one. 20% toy miniature poodle. Well, she does sort of have that toy size, but I am comparing her to Meat Wagon. So. <laughs> 6% American Eskimo dog. What, the what heck is an Eskimo, is an Eskimo dog? dog? I don't know. Let alone an American one. Is there like a Brazilian Eskimo dog? I have no idea. We've got Brazilian Eskimo dogs here running through the glaciers of Brazil. She's 4% Chihuahua. 
Well, aren't all dogs. Yeah. 3% Boston Terrier. Oh, there is some Terrier in her. I won. That's the third Terrier. Yeah, but that's a different kind of Terrier. The rest of them are pit bulls. <laughs> 3% Chow Chow. I'm scared of Chow Chow, so I'm not scared of many dogs. There's only two kinds of dogs that scare me. It's Chow Chow. Dalmatians. Dalmatians. Yeah. You know. Well, she's not a Dalmatian. She's 2% Boxer. Okay, I don't see that at all. No. 2% Pekingese. I told you she's a pocket dog. 2% German Shepherd. Mm, I don't get that. Maybe her tail looks a little bit like a German Shepherd. Maybe. I don't know. 2% Cocker Spaniel. I used to own a Cocker Spaniel when I was a kid, and I didn't guess that. No. And 1% Neapolitan Mastiff. No, I was telling you before we started this show, I told you, I said, Crystal, Crystal, if that dog ain't at least 10% Neapolitan Mastiff... I'll eat these shoes. You don't know what that is. I have no clue. Okay. So she is not lab at all. So I don't get to set off the Roman candles. No, pack them up. I wonder if they'll take them back. No. Throw them in the ocean. No, don't do that. It'll choke we the turtles. The again. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. So we also found out that Coffee has one close family member in the Wisdom Panel database named Scooter. Uh oh. They share 26% of their DNA. And now Scooter's going to know where she's at. Yeah, he's going to come asking for some for a loan. He's like, y'all mind if I come down here and live at the beach house with y'all? <laughs> so it has been a lot of fun finding out the results of both Layla and Coffee's DNA. If you missed Layla's results, tune into one of our previous episodes where we gave the breakdown of her DNA. Yeah, it's been a few episodes ago, but yeah. check it out. So that brings us to the end of the episode. If you want to find out more about our show, please go find our website at scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on pretty much all social media if you look for the username at Scary Savannah. Also, go to YouTube, look us up, subscribe to our channel, like the videos, search for Scary Savannah and Beyond. We should pop right up. Give us a rating. Give us a rating. Give us uh, subscribe, as they say, as the kids say these days. <laughs> Please also buy my lovely wife a coffee. If you look down in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, you'll see the little yellow coffee cup. If you click on that, you can support her raging caffeine addiction and help keep us caffeinated, or at least her, while I sit around here and watch her consume all you're the coffee. You're drinking coffee, too. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not drinking coffee in this luxurious Scary Savannah and Beyond coffee mug, which, by the way, can be purchased on our website, scarysavannahandbeyond.com. Just go to the store tab, go buy yourself a cool coffee mug, and we got a new coffee mug. I love it. It's so cute. You got to go look at it. It's Layla and Coffee Talk, the mug. It is. It's sort of like space balls when it's yeah. like, it's space balls, <laughs> the shower cut. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we got those in and we're going to, we ordered some, so I can't wait to see what they look like. Yeah. Go to the merch store, order you something. We still have a few of those coupons left. Scary Savannah 20 at checkout. You save 20% and you will also help support the podcast. One other way you can help support us is if you go and join our Patreon. You can find our Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash Scary Savannah. And for as little as $3 a month, you can help support the show. There will be higher tier levels, but we will have rewards, including merchandise like mouse pads, coffee mugs, t-shirts, and the most exciting thing, 
we're going to have some exclusive content that we're going to start releasing on Patreon, right? Yeah, it's in the works. It's in the works. Another way you can contact us if you're interested is you can leave us a voicemail if you call us at 912-406-2899. That's 912-406-2899. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. You can also click on the little microphone on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen Leave a voicemail directly through your smartphone or through a computer. You don't even have to call a number and we'll get that. And if you like, we can play it on the air. Or if you just have something you'd like to say to either one of us or to the dogs, Meat Wagon, who's laying over there (laughs) snoring at the moment. Please also remember we're doing a monthly giveaway of merchandise and April's submissions will be open until we call out on the upcoming first may episode that we do we'll announce the winner from the april giveaway so all you got to do is go to our website click on the giveaway tab and answer three really really easy questions and submit that form to us go to our latest youtube video like and comment and you are entered in to win for free either a t-shirt in your choice of color and size or either this coffee mug in yellow or black or the new Leyland Coffee Talk mug in a variety of colors. Yeah, they're so cute. Thank you to the people who went in March and everyone please enter. Another thing we're doing now is you can ask us anything. There's a tab on our website that says ask us anything. We'd love to hear any question. It doesn't have to pertain necessarily to even the podcast. Just ask us a question. Yeah, we're going to do an episode where we just answer viewer questions. Yes. You can ask us about the Savannah area. You can ask us about ghost stories. You can ask Crystal how she gets her hair so pretty. I mean, I I don't care. Just email whatever you want. It's a whole thing. Please look out for that. And I'm guessing that's just going to leave us with the one last little thing. Join us next time in Savannah where the ghosts and the good times live on. But you know who isn't? The victims of the bloody vendors. Oh, cold. <laughs>